Hey, family, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Two Catholics with the PhDs in common sense who love the Lord, love the church, love Our Lady, and I'm reporting for duty. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Terry. A Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesse, uh, today's topic, you picked them, buddy, and you got some good ones, like how children use smartphones represents a revolution destroying not just the kids, but society. Wow. Mm -hmm. Number two, Biden just put Obama in a delightfully serious bind regarding what? Regarding those classified documents he took. <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting. And then I love the last topic, folks. Can angels read our thoughts? And this is really from a personal friend of mine who stayed at my house many times. Is a priest from the Opus Angelorum who wrote the article about our guardian angel and how we collaborate with him. I know you're going to enjoy this segment and much, much more. Jesse, I've got a couple good-to-know files. Same here. Wow, maybe i got too many. But the latest Twitter file shows how dirty Pfizer and Moderna played to keep wow. factual, scientifically proven truths hidden. Okay, so censorship is bad enough, Jess. But it would, when it stifles and the dialogue and suppresses opposing views, it's even worse when it covers up undisputed scientific facts. Also, Unbelievable. yeah, it is. This is how bad. You know, the cardinals are supposed to be advisors for the pope. And Jess, I believe that we've got two comments here that I believe Pope St. Pius X is inspiring them because he, he said this a hundred years ago. He said, how I tremble to think that souls can be punished for all eternity on the account of negligence of their pastors. The innocent people can be led from the path of truth because the words inspired texts were never preached to them that the spirit of the world and of our time especially should pour into our ill-instructed minds for want of a firm hand to check its tide. And this is what St. Pope Pius X said, and I believe more cardinals are, are responding to it. He says, I have a grave, sacred duty to defend the truth openly, for God will ask me to render an account for all those souls who have strayed into the way of perdition. So what do we got going? Well, we heard about Cardinal Pell. Did you hear this? Good to know file. Cardinal Mueller is coming out with a book, the 27th of Whoa. January. Yeah, Shining Lights on the Problems with Pope Francis' Agenda for the Church. Next one, Jess. Another cardinal, Cardinal Zinn. He speaks out against the Senat of Senadality and also against the Latin Mass restrictions. And they're trying to communicate to the Holy Father that these are bad ideas, women's ordination, contraception. I mean... This, I mean, I think what's happened, Jesse, is they are realizing that that's the role that God's given to them as cardinals. So they're really stepping up right now to help the Pope to do the right thing. How about you, Jess? Terry, this is this is really good news. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I don't know if you you read. There's a uh, uh, an Italian priest that's very respected <laughs> yes. in Venice, in Venice, heard it Italy. Again today. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. His name is Father it. Pellegrino. Yes. Terry. Holy man. He, he wrote a letter yes. directly to Pope Francis. In loving, a loving letter as far as... Oh, I yeah. Yeah. In fraternal correction. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it wrote like a police report, Terry. He <laughs> says, you've done this. You've done this. You need to step down. Yeah. You've done this. You've done this. You need to step down. But it was very charitable, very loving. Yeah. Just, just one brother calling out another brother, just like uh, Paul to Peter. Yeah. 
where he resisted him to the face in Galatians chapter 2. That's right. uh, it, it's worth reading the letter. It's, it's all over the internet. It's, uh, is, he's a, a priest from Venice, Italy. His name is Father Don Pellegrino. He writes an open letter to Pope Francis. It is absolutely jaw-dropping, Terry. But this is what it's going to take. It takes fraternal correction, not people to be yes-men. Oh. It takes people to love somebody so much to say, you know what, brother? I love you so much, and I love your soul so That's much charity. that I need, to, I need to call you on the carpet. Amen, brother. That's how I see it. What else, Jess? Yeah. Uh, and uh, no. on my good need, um, good need to uh, good yeah. news files. Yeah. Um, just want to remind people again: when somebody lives the Catholic faith, they can enjoy 118 years of life like Cinder- Sister Andre, <laughs> the world, the world's <laughs> oldest person. Orphanage. She just she yeah. just died at 118. Yes, oldest living person. Yeah. God. And uh, and so apparently she worked until the age of 108. Can you can imagine, imagine? Jess, us working to 108? <laughs> I don't think uh, so. Go ahead. And, uh, and, and apparently she had a glass of wine daily That's and right. enjoyed eating chocolate. The words of St. Paul, he says to Timothy, he goes, uh, have a cup of wine. It's good for your stomach. Also, another, we mentioned this yesterday, but it's worth mentioning sure. again today. Talk about what, talk about, um, uh, what comes around goes around or sin and its consequences. Yes. A drunken thief was injured oh, after yeah. falling on the sword of the statue of St. Michael the Archangel that he was trying to steal from a church in Monterey, Mexico. The local media reported that during the, the early hours of January 14th, Carlos Alonso, 32 years old, allegedly went to Christ the King Parish in downtown Monterrey to rob the church. In the darkness, Alonso reportedly jumped over the fence in front of the church entrance. Uh, let me see what happened here to my computer here. Uh, oh, there, back. Jumped the door, uh, or jumped the fence, in front of the church entrance, broke a glass door and entered the church while trying to flee with a statue of St. Michael the Archangel. The alleged thief tripped and fell on the angel's sword, seriously injuring his neck. That'll teach him. That was uh, completely an act of divine providence. That was not a coincidence. No. Yeah. Terry? And all, if that's it, Justin, let's yeah. get some soul food in our soul, brother. I thought soul you had another food. one, but those are good ones. Yeah. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Yep, Speak, it. Lord, your servants are listening. Yep. Jesus withdrew towards the sea and his disciples, with his disciples. Mm-hmm. A large number of people followed from Galilee and from Judea. Hearing what he was doing, a large number of people came to him from Jerusalem, mm-hmm. from Idumea, yep. from beyond the Jordan, and from the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon. And, and notice here, just every time Jesus Christ would go somewhere, people knew he was different, so... He would just draw these enthusiastic crowds and they came to see him because, again, he already had the reputation of being a miracle worker and an exorcist. And people would always, what's he going to do now? What's he going to And also he had the reputation of just speaking uh, with, with the greatest amount of wisdom since the days of Solomon. They hadn't seen anybody like this. It goes on to say, he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crush him. He had cured many, and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. And whenever unclean spirits, those are demons, saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. He warned them sternly not to make him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Since many of you that went to daily mass today will probably hear nothing about demons, <laughs> let me go top-heavy on this. Good. The, the, the casting out of demons... 
is uh, was not merely a work of mercy, but it was also a proof that Jesus was mightier than Satan. Amen. And so you'll find out later on in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus points out that the breaking of, of, of Satan's power was a sign that the kingdom of of God had come. And that's in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. In other words, with the coming of Christ and the exorcisms, that was a sign that the kingdom of God had come. Also, the title Son of God, it suggests more forcibly than the Holy One of God. There's a unique relationship, obviously, between these two titles. And there's also a unique relationship between Christ and the Father. Obviously, there's, there is no certainty as to the precise sense intended by the demons, but probably they had some notion of Christ's divinity uh, by this time, but Christ did not refuse the title given to him by, by the, uh, at this moment, but he forbade the demons to proclaim his name. He, he, he basically uh, gave them an order, don't say anything, that, that they couldn't say anything. Also, these unclean spirits you'll find in all the Gospels, they have to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ to his divine power. This demonstrates that he's that he's God incarnate. And you'll also see, again, these majestic titles that these demons give him. Thou art the son of God. Uh, to me, it's just, it's just uh, how blind the Arians were back in the third and fourth centuries. They read these passages, Terry, and yet they denied after the resurrection. They denied that Jesus Christ was the son of God whom again, the devils even confess as the son of God, clothed in human nature. And uh, it, it's, it's certain that not only the devils, but also people that were sick, they were healed. Jesus Christ was like a walking, a walking uh, hospital and a doctor. And the apostles themselves were forbidden to tell people, as well as the unclean spirits, to proclaim his divinity. It, it was called the messianic secret. Jesus Christ didn't want people to rush him throw them on, on, a, on a white horse and put a crown on him and give him, you know, a bunch of a sword and a, and a saber and say, you're okay. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're going to take down, uh, you know, Imperial Rome and you're going to lead us to become the world power again. Christ was telling the apostles and demons, don't to say anything to anybody because again, he didn't want people to get confused that he was some type of secular warlord. Well said. Before we get to Bishop Sheen, I just want to make an announcement again that every Thursday night here, at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we pray for our Pope, our bishops, and our priests from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. before the Blessed Sacrament. Someone asked me the other day, they said, aren't you getting kind of tough on the Pope and some of these bishops and priests? Well, when you come and pray every week with us for two hours and for, for them, uh, I'll consider it. And the reason I say that is talk is cheap to supply exceeds demand. I want to be able to help the Pope. That's why we pray for him each Thursday here at the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament, and I would enjoy anyone in the Southern California area who want to join us at the Sacred Heart Chapel, come and join us. When we come back, we'll get Fulton Sheen's quote, and then we're going to get right into this smartphone problem. Yep, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I always like to say, Jess and I, we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, both of us would be billionaires. Our hope is in the name of Jesus. Stay with us, man. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Full scene ahead. He says this, If we direct our work towards God, we shall work better than we know. 
And I believe that, Jesse, because Bishop Sheen said every action is like a blank check. If we give it all to Christ, there's an incredible power in that, and there's graces. So when we work for God, you might be working for an employer. I get that. But the point of it is you supernaturalize it as a cop, Jess. If you're serving the people through being a policeman, you offer your day to God. And so now you become much more moratorious uh, for your actions. And I think this is something that uh, many people uh, can't get a grasp of because if we think about it, Jesse, our life is given by God. We give it right back to him by every action we do. And then our, our life becomes so much more valuable, not only to ourselves, but for the salvation of souls. Amen. All right, brother, let's get to it. Yep. Smartphone uh, problem. How children's use of smartphones represents a revolution destroying society. Yep. The smartphone's relatively recent advent and swift domination have been as unprecedented as it is all pervasive. Mm-hmm. How societies become so widely reliant upon smartphones in a few years should give considerable pause for thought. Of particular concern is how children have become attached, devoted, and even addicted to their phones with devastating consequences. Children have become singularly reliant upon smartphones in a life in a little over a decade. And uh, they got some data there, some micro numbers. Because the COVID-19 related lockdowns saw a huge uptick in computer and smartphone usage, the Pew Research Center followed up with the same parents surveyed in 2020. It found that children's usage of smartphones and other digital devices had predictably increased. With 71% of those under 11 exposed to or using a smartphone in 2021, in addition... 81% of parents said their children under 11 used a tablet. Spending time online. Nor are young children merely using a parent's device. Pew Research found that 37% of parents of a child aged 19 to 11 say their child... Wow, that was a difference. 9 to 11 say that their child has their own smartphone Mm -hmm. compared with 13% of those with a child 5 to 8. Mm Mm-hmm. 5% of those with a child 3 to 4, and 3% of those with a child who is 2 or younger. Even more striking is the amount of time young children spend on these electronic devices. Other studies present different results, with the most shocking being a 2019 report from the National Institute of Health that found children aged only 12 months were averaging 53 minutes of screen time a day. With such heavy usage in the early years, Researchers found the trend continues into preteen and later years. In 2020, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry released a report that revealed that children between 8 and 12 in the U.S. spend four and six hours per day watching screens. Hey, let's repeat that. Think, think about that, Jesse. When we were out playing ball as kids, today the same 8 to 12-year-olds now are spending between four and six hours per day watching screens. What kind of exercise is that? Yeah. I mean, think here, about it, the effect of that. That's it. Well, I can tell you one thing. Tomorrow I'm going to be doing a show on Jesus 911. Yeah, tell us about on, it. On uh, many exorcists, yeah. uh, Catholic exorcists state that demons 
are able to use smartphones and computers. Not only are they able to tamper with them, but they're able to traffic thoughts through them. So tomorrow, wow. if you want to see the way the Catholic exorcists of the world, the most respected ones, talk about the demons have power over technology. You want to Incredible. watch? To, you want to listen to tomorrow's show from nine, uh, uh, Jesus nine one one. Yep. Goes on to say, this number jumps up alarmingly as the age increases. The American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry found that teens spend up to nine hours daily on the screen. <laughs> Common Sense Media suggested that teens average nearly seven and a half hours per day, not including any time on the screen for school-related purposes. And also now, the phone usage is destroying children's health. Yep. With instant access to the online, a smartphone offers almost endless sources of distraction and supposed amusement. Thus, children no longer have to engage with friends or use their imagination to create games to occupy their time. They lose themselves in a virtual world of digital fiction via their phone. Let me back up on that. I have seen this with children where they're in another world. You cut your hand in front of them and they're a face and they don't even budge because they're so focused on that screen. And again, Jesse, what they said about interaction, have you noticed about young people, they don't get on the phone to talk to somebody. It's always texting. But this interaction of... One-on-one, face-to-face, they shy away from it. Continue, please. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, the, uh, the, the damaging effects of smartphone and screen usage, is, is usage go far beyond a drop in book reading. Researchers are finding that increased screen time stimulates stress while decreasing the body's ability to br- produce melatonin, which is needed for good sleep. Yep. Long screen usage is also linked to emotional and behavioral problems in children. The time spent away from real human interactions and the unrewarding stimulation of the on-screen activities undermines the formation the child needs to progress through life. A 2017 article in Child Development Magazine warned that with respect to health implications of digital wireless technologies, it is of importance that neurological diseases, physiological addiction, cognition, sleep, and behavioral problems are considered in addition to cancer. Wow. Jersey, they said Child Magazine noted how children become accustomed to a regular smartphone usage by watching us, the adults, become increasingly addicted to it. They also develop bad habits when parents give them the screens for entertainment. The study's author highlighted this usage, a little report, and potentially catastrophic health impacts it pointed to a pointing to a 2008 report submitted to the World Health Organization. The authors noted that children using phones regularly face a disruption of memory, decline of attention, diminishing learning and cognitive abilities, and increased irritability, sleep problems, increase in sensitivity to stress, increased epileptic readiness. Mm. Jesse. Uh, those are all negative things. What's going on here? I mean, what, keep going. This is yeah. It says here the 2000 uh, phones. Let's get right to the meat. Yeah, phones it. undermining traditional oh, yeah. society. Here's what it says. This is the meat of it. Yeah. With such warnings made in 2008 before the advent of the iPhone, the outlook for today's children spending up to a third of every day on the screen is not particularly hopeful. Oh, not at all. Nor are such warnings clearly found. Indeed, many articles warn of increased screen time and advise parents about how to limit their children's usage. However, the more impactful data, like that contained in the 2008 report referenced, is carefully avoided. The ubiquitous use of all things digital adds to the children's confusion. 
Everywhere people are on their phones, whether messaging while walking distractedly through the streets, religiously uh, photographing their sandwiches before eating them, <laughs> using a phone to guide them to the next tourist point, or employing them for employing them pay for parking since many meters no longer allow in-person payments. Indeed, children's use of smartphones as part of a vicious circle revolutionizing society. With so much screen time, children are being trained to accept a digital life where human interaction is replaced by pixels. They're being formed to see nothing abnormal and spending more time watching meaningless video content on social media than spending time performing actual tasks or enjoying physical events. The digital revolution is also forcing people to use some form of digital technology. This trend is visible across the board, whether with self-service machines in stores, the use of digital password codes when trying to access banking services, or being, uh, or being only able to purchase certain goods online. The COVID era made matters worse by accustoming, accustoming both young and old to move even more of their daily lives onto the screen. For families, virtual reunions replaced previous happy family gatherings. For Catholics, virtual mass replaced in-person church attendance. Children saw their classrooms become an online collection of blurry heads on a screen. Office workers experienced even more of a life from behind a screen than they had previously thought possible. Throughout all of this, the radical advance of a digital society is being directed chiefly at children, while only a few years ago, only teenagers seem addicted to their phones. This attachment can be found in those under 13 or even under the age of seven. Wow. Children are being sacrificed on the altar of the so-called societal progress in an increasingly digital age. The high priests of the sacrifice are not only tech companies who gladly collect hundreds of billions of dollars in profits every year, but also the unwitting parents who sadly prefer to expose their children to the harms of the Internet. Instead of committing to a more traditional family life, they allow the invasion of smartphones and tablets into the home. The attachment to technology must be curved swiftly and firmly to protect America's children from greater harm. Well, you know, Jess, you and I both already raised our children, but I know with my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, I go for hikes with him behind my house. Uh, why? Because it's a good exercise for him. We build things by having a shovel, start digging in the dirt. He gets filthy. But you know what, Jess? Uh, I believe he's making connections there, his balance, his muscles, his, his hand coordination. This is something that we must consider when we see our children's children. And this, this smartphone is really devastating people because the kids, everybody is being looked at this as almost like a god. Okay, they worship this. That's right. Yeah. Again, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, the the top exorcist of the Philippines, Manila, Philippines, Father Jose Francisco. Good. He's a chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of Manila. Mm -hmm. He says that demonic spirits can send text messages to cell phones, and I've seen it before, by the way. Yeah. And use modern technology to harass or lure people to the dark side. So, if you want to hear how that works, listen to the show tomorrow on Jesus Nine One One. Uh, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific Coast time. The, the devil, exorcists will tell you that the devil uses technology against us, and we as a culture, we don't even see it. Uh, it, it again, it's, uh, this is why before I do all my shows, I do, an, I do a, a, a binding prayer over yeah. my computer before I do my both shows. Smart. It, it's a prayer that was written by the exorcist of Washington, D.C., uh, it's, uh, his name is, uh, I'll forget his name right now, but the, the, the fact of the matter is it's a very specific prayer 
asking God to protect all aspects of your computer and your software as you do a radio show because he understands he's seen it many times himself. The way he's, he's actually said that after he does an exorcism and, and drives a demon out, he says in many instances, demons have called him on his cell phone and have threatened him because he drove them out of a person. Father Ripperger said the same thing. I mean, yeah. this is this is nothing new. And so, uh, again, this is so cell phones and computers are, are not only could be on a human level dangerous by becoming addicted to it, but there's also could be a spiritual component to it. We've seen it with lights being turned off and on. That's technology. Yep. We've seen yep. it with tape recorders over the years where. Hey, it's on and it's not recording. It, there's no reason why it shouldn't be recording. So, Especially you're going to record something important. Exactly, Jess. Yeah, hey, when we come yeah. back, we're going to talk about another topic about President Biden. He just put Obama in a delightfully serious bind. How? Threw him, threw him under the bus. He threw him under, yeah. So what about the stolen classified documents from the White House? We'll talk about that and much more on the Terry and Jesse Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Day. We're back, Jess. Wow. That, was, that, that topic is scary in one sense, Jesse, because it's our children that are being affected so negatively by this technology. And don't think that Satan yeah, he's uh, part didn't of it. plan. Oh, yeah. did, of course, he planned it. He's, he's behind us. Yeah. Again, a technology is like fire. Fire is not bad. It's right. not good. It's right. neutral. It's how you use it. Amen. But Satan has seen that there are some evil people behind Google, Facebook, oh. you know, all these big old yes. big tech. And so it's easy for him to use their tool yep. for his purposes. We want to talk about the way Biden just th threw Obama <laughs> under the bus and he put him in a delightfully serious bind. Uh, re remember, remember a couple of a couple of months ago, yeah, September 18th, yeah. Biden called Trump's total irresponsible totally responsible for storing top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago yeah. in an interview of 60 Minutes. Right. And so Biden was chastising former President Trump for having classified papers at his private estate. <laughs> well, what goes around comes the headline, around. Yeah, exactly. The headline is delicious. Vice President Biden left the White House taking the classified documents with him. However, what's really lovely is the, is the prom this creates for Obama. Mm -hmm. After all, he's the only one who can rescue Biden. But by doing so... He will completely exonerate Trump of the charges that the latter violated national security laws by taking documents with him when he left the White House. Yep. Both Rajan Laid and Howard J. Warner have ably covered the factual issues concerning the news that Biden took classified documents with him when he left the vice president's office. They addressed how the Washington establishment had the story before the midterms, but covered it up. How that same establishment, including the media, that castigated Trump as a traitor and arch criminal for allegedly having classified material in his possession is now racing to make excuses for Biden <laughs> and how it's possible that China had access to the to the materials because it had access to the University of Pennsylvania Biden think tank mm -hmm. in which the documents resided for so many years. Consequent, but you know what? The consequences of that statement right there. Oh, it's pretty serious, Jess. Continue. Absolutely. Wow. 
What I find so delectable is that Biden has only one defense to the charge that he stole classified documents from the White House, which is a felony. Yeah. As Democrats never failed to remind us when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. That defense is that Obama, who was president when Biden took the documents, gave him permission to take them, effectively declassifying them. Will he do that? That's the question. This defense works because the president of the United States is the ultimate authority about whether to declassify documents. Moreover, as I never tire of saying, the president doesn't need to go through any rubber stamp process, nor does he need to consult with the bureaucrats who work for him. Basically, he has the power, whether through words, he could say, here, Joe, take these classified documents with you when you leave the White House. Or actions, stuffing the documents in his own briefcase to declassify them instantly with nothing more required. Incredible. This is because the president and only the president has what's called plenary power over national security matters, including document classification and declassification. The Supreme Court articulated what's currently the last and best word on the subject in Navy versus Egan in 1998, 1988, a case examining whether a service, a civil service board could review someone being denied a national security clearance, a power it came to via a congressional act. So the Supreme Court gave an, an unequivocal no based in part on the fact that the executive office is the final word on classification. The president, after all, is a commander in chief of the army and the Navy of the United States. And as the U.S. Constitution says in Article 2, his authority to, cl- to classify and control access to information bearing on national security and to determine whether an individual is sufficiently trustworthy to occupy a position in the executive branch that will give that person access to such information flows primarily from this constitutional investment of power in the president and exists quite apart from any explicit congressional grant. Wow. Wow. Now now you can see the Hobson choice Obama's being forced to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uncontested facts show that Joe Biden violated national security laws and worse, put those same documents in an unsecured environment to which the Chinese had access. When they learned that Trump had documents in the Secret Service secured environments of Mar-a-Lago, the Democrats thought execution was too good for him. (laughs) I guess that's the appropriate punishment for Biden, too, given that he committed the crime before he gained the White House. There's only one way to say that Biden's innocent. And that is for Obama to announce, quote, I told Joe he could take the documents, close quote. However, if Obama makes that docu- announcement, he has conceded, and all the Democrats will be forced to concede, that a president can declassify documents simply by walking them out of the White House or authorizing someone else to do so. In other words, to exonerate Biden, Obama must also exonerate Trump from the disgraceful, deepful, criminally dishonest charge leveled against Trump. I get a real kick imagining Obama sitting in the lavishly decorated office of one of his three luxury homes, cursing to himself that you can always trust Joe Biden to blank things up. Mess it up, yep. Hey, Jesse, could this also be an opportunity? And I'm, I mean, I'm not talking politics that much, but I think because the presidency is such an important uh, position to be in in America that we really need to really 
to obviously check our votes. But the point I'm making is this would be an opportunity for the Democratic Party to say, okay, Joe, we had enough of you. We're going to take you down because we've got someone else better than you to beat any of the other opponents that we're going to have in less than two years. And I'm just wondering, Jesse, do you think that could happen where they just say, Joe, you're no longer a use to the Democratic Party. You're done. I think that's a fair analysis. I think that's a, I think uh, his usefulness is over. I think he's now he's becoming a liability. Uh, and they're saying with uh, his Biden inflation, with the war against Russia, mm-hmm. uh, with these uh, these uh, these uh, trillion dollar stimulus packages. Yeah. Uh, they're saying, yeah, with with one gaffe after another when he's behind a microphone, I think the Dems are saying we need to find somebody else that's younger, more lucid, uh, and somebody that uh, can can string two sentences together. I think they're looking at him that as he's he's too old and frail for the position. He can't do it no more. Well, let's be honest. If he says he's going to run for uh, the his second term, uh, I think uh, Bozo the Clown could probably beat him. Uh, because of his, uh, if, they yeah, if they don't steal the election, you're right. Right? Yeah, if they don't steal the election, but I, I, I could, I could beat them if they don't steal the election. Yeah, I, I could beat them if I, yeah. uh, if I ran against yeah. them. So we need to be praying for our country that uh, we get things straight and get back to order. You know, Jesse, one of our founders of our country, Jefferson, I think he said that this experiment of Americanism will only work with a moral people. Yes. And you see, when you're immoral and you're killing innocent life of unborn babies. And married men. And married men. I mean, I don't expect, uh, you know, that this experiment can work when we're living such sinful uh, ways of living and killing our innocent unborn babies and all the rest that we're doing. So I, I think we're in deep trouble, Jess. And we need to turn to God, not to man. Amen. Yeah. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who was shot, he's a Republican that was sh- shot in that park I remember that. by a leftist. Game, yeah. He, yeah, he's actually said, where's the rage of Biden's garage? Or where's the raid? The raid of Biden's garage. Doesn't work on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Dan Crenshaw from Texas, he, he's, uh, he's a Republican. He said, now we learn that Biden kept additional classified materials at his home in Delaware in his garage. Yet there's no raid, no ransacking of Biden's home. Nothing. You have Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. He's from California. He said he labeled the situation as another as another foy pawn, as another mistake by the Biden administration by treating law differently based upon your political beliefs. McCarthy also said uh, treats one president treats one president Trump one way, but treats President Biden a whole different way. That's why we had to provide a new entity. Uh, for for our church style committee to look after the weaponization of what's gone on with, with, with what's gone on that you want an equal plane of the law to all Americans. So Republicans are speaking out against this. And they area. should. And they should. Yeah. And you have uh, you have another one speaking out, Jim Jordan from oh, Ohio. Yeah. That's right. He said he said the issue with weaponization with that select subcommittee is the double standard. Uh, he says the different treatment in presidents that we see, that we now see, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be equal treatment, equal application to the law. I don't know that we've seen that. So again, you've got some good people on our side of the aisle that are calling this out for the hypocrisy that it is. I remember when I was a young cop and they gave me 
uh, my constitutional law book at the academy, the Sheriff's Academy in 1982. Yeah. And in the the front cover of my constitutional law book, there's a statue, a a statue of Lady Liberty with the, the scales of justice that she's holding and she's blindfolded. And she's holding the scales of justice, and they're both even. That's how it's supposed and to she, be. Uh, yes. And, and Terry, how far we have departed from Lady Justice. Justice is not even in this country, and justice is not blind. I'll use the analogy of a baseball game. You're the umpire, and you decide that there's two sets of rules in the game. One for the home team and one for the visiting team. Now, how far would that game go? Not very far, because the umpire is supposed to be impartial. Our laws are supposed to be impartial. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And right now what's happening in America is just the opposite, and it's a sad day for us. Yeah, Terry. Um, and what the Republicans are calling for, they're calling for an official search of Biden's homes, the same treatment that Trump received. That's all they're calling. They're calling for an equal investigation and an equal playing field. They're not reasonable. asking... Yeah. yeah, they're not asking, uh, you know, to string him on, uh, you know, on, yeah. by his neck on a noose, you know, from from the telephone pole in front of the White House. They're just asking, we need to apply the law the same Equally. way against Biden, like like uh, uh, Merrick Garland applied to Donald Trump. Amen. I just want to let everybody know the conference from last weekend is up on our website on evangelization. <clears throat> you can get that by going to vmpr.org or calling 877 877- Five two six two one five one. When we come back, can angels read our thoughts? And much more about your guardian angel. I think you're mm. going to love this segment. Stay yeah. with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Go for it, Jess. I love this can, topic, brother. Can angels read our thoughts? <laughs> Do our heavenly friends know what we're thinking? Good question. St. Thomas says that God alone yep. knows our thoughts, knows what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, only God can know the thoughts of hearts and, and the affections of wills. Yep. So the answer is no angels, and for that matter, demons, they can't read our minds. But the angels or guardian angels especially can often tell what we're thinking based on physical cues such as facial expressions. It makes sense if you think about it. A family member. Like mom. or Yeah, or a good friend. <laughs> yeah can often tell what you're thinking or feeling oh, just yeah. by the slump of our shoulders yep. or the very slight smile on our faces. <laughs> That's true. Our guardian angels saw us grow up. They've seen our faces and mannerisms since we were babies. They've been at our side 24-7 for all our existence. So they can certainly, they certainly can tell a lot through our subtle external signs, especially considering that their intellects are far superior to ours. So does the fact that angels can't actually mind read mean that we always have to pray out loud to communicate with them? No. We can, without the aid of articulated words, communicate any thoughts or prayers we desire to share with them. God allows such things 
through his power. Amen. Angels can know specific thoughts that we willfully desire to communicate with them. Therefore, as soon as we make the decision to speak with or to pray to the angels, they will become aware of what we want to communicate to them. And Jesse, this is an article from Father Matthew Hicks from the opusangelorum.org. He is a angelologist. I've been on retreat many times with him, and I want to uh, mention to people to go to their website uh, and pick up his CDs on the angels. Father Matthew Hicks, go to opusangelorum.org and pick that up. Jesse, if you think it says that, think about it, it, it is this is rather fun since it's so different from how we communicate with other humans. Words are at best only estimations of our thoughts. They are always a translation of our sorts, never quite reaching the accuracy of the original language. It can even be a source of sorrow and frustration when we can only imperfectly convey our ideas through human language. But man, check this out, folks. But with the angels, we can convey our thoughts and prayers just as they are, instantaneously. Presto! How cool is that, Jess? Hmm. Keep going, brother. Beautiful. Hit it. Yeah. Uh, and, and how comforting it, it, it is to have a friend yes. with whom we can communicate so easily Amen. who often already knows how we're feeling. Beautiful. Get to know our friends, the angels, in, in, in Good Catholics popular series, in Good Catholics popular series, Angel and Angels and the Supernatural, here you'll learn about how the angels know and think, the, robes and the, the roles in the created order, and how they assist us in doing good and resisting temptation, and how we can cultivate devotion to them, a fascinating journey into the world of angels. Like I always have said, Jesse, the unemployment rate for guardian angels is way too high. Put them to work. I mean, think about this, Jesse. You and I, we can't see where our grandchildren are right now. Probably they're not in your home. But you can communicate to your guardian angel, to their guardian angel, for protection for your son, your grandchildren. I mean, this is a powerful means of using the supernatural aspects of our faith for protection from evil spirits and for even physical harm. So I think we need to really rely on our angels much, much more. Yeah, there's it just for people for yeah. people that are curious, there's nine choirs of angels in scripture. The first is the seraphim found in Isaiah chapter six, verse two. The second is a cherubim found in Genesis three twenty-four. The third are the thrones found in Colossians one sixteen. The fourth are the dominions found in Colossians one sixteen. The fifth are the virtues found in first Peter three twenty-two. The sixth are the powers yep. found in Ephesians one twenty-one. The seventh are the principalities found in Ephesians one twenty-one. The eighth are the archangels found in First Thessalonians four sixteen. And the ninth are the angels found in Matthew chapter eighteen, verse ten. And just remember I've mentioned this many times the days of the week, how we Catholics devote the day to a particular aspect of our faith. Remember, Sunday is for the Blessed Trinity. Monday the poor souls in purgatory. Tuesday, your guardian angel. Wednesday, St. Joseph. Thursday, the Holy Eucharist. And Friday, the passion and death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, Saturday, we dedicate it to Our Lady. You see, Jesse, what we do is every day, the Catholic Church has these spiritual exercises, our prayers, uh, mass, rosary, confession. All these things are geared on one thing, to get closer to Jesus Christ. That's right. 
Let me give a small catechesis on the theology of angels. I think it'll be a, oh good, yes. a, a, it'll be awesome for the audience. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, angels are are in a hierarchy. Oh yeah. So just like I mentioned, there's a hierarchical order. Uh, also, some angels are higher than others in the hierarchy. You have higher angels, lower angels. Mm-hmm. Also, hierarchy has to do with how intelligent they are and their substance. Uh, another thing we know about angels is the more intelligent the angel, the higher they are in the hierarchy. Also, human beings that are saved in Christ will one day take the place of the fallen angels in the heavenly hierarchy, will take their seats, their, their thrones that they occupied. And that's why the fallen angels are repulsed with human beings because they know that human beings in heaven are going to take those seats that they once occupied. That's why they hate us so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Guarding angels are taken from the lowest ranks of angels. Right. There are billions of angels. And there's also a different guardian angel for every single person ever conceived. They're not all the same. Uh, Countries the church... have angels, Jess, right? Yeah, they, yes. That's, that's, awesome. that's, that's what I was going to mention. Oh, uh, okay, go ahead. Angels, I'm... angels. Are, are are guardians of regions, yep. of buildings, of yep. nations, of churches, awesome. of dioceses, of, of corporations and institutions. We also know that there's billions of angels. Uh, there's a different guardian angel for every single person conceived. Don't ever name your guardian angel. There's nope. a Vatican document that says don't yeah. do that because, again... You don't have power. You don't have power over That's them. Right. They're, 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 they, have, they have more... They're of a superior... Exactly. Uh, they're, yeah, they're of a, of a superior nature than you are in essence. And so it's just like a dog can't give you your name yeah. because you're, you're superior to the, to the animals. A cat can't name you. Your bird can't name That's you. Right, yeah. We can't name angels. Yeah. Also, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael are the only angels' names that we know in That's the right. Bible. Right. Yeah. Um, bishops and priests, the tradition is that's right. They they generally get more arc, more guardian <laughs> angels than we do. The saints have told us that it makes sense yeah. though. Think about their you know their their role because their, of the role. Yeah. We get one guardian angel every every lay Catholic, but the clergy, according to the saints, they get more than one yeah. guardian angel to be with them. Yeah. Uh, and we also know that uh, some angels have specific assignments, such like the angel Gabriel. He was the, assigned okay. to announce to the Blessed Virgin Mary the Annunciation. Uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, also, there are billions of angels, and they were all created at the same time at once by God. And this is another good practice. Send your guardian angel somewhere where you want to be, but you can't be there. Let's say, for example, you're at work, and you hear a call that says, hey, somebody needs prayer. So you pray, but send your guardian angel to visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament or to go to Mass when you can't go. Yeah, these there's are, actually a prayer for that. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm just, these are good guard, practices. Yeah, where you send. There's an actual prayer mm-hmm. where you can. So I have it on my phone. Yep. Uh, where you can send your your your, right. your guardian angel to holy mass when you can't make it. It's a great practice. Yeah. Also, here's something that Father Ripperger teaches in Tell spiritual us. warfare. He says that uh, demons are attracted to faithlessness, disorder, and a, a soul that's unclean. Mm. Uh, angels come wherever they are called. Demons come wherever they're not resisted. I remember reading that in his book. That is a great line. One more time, Jesse. Angels Angels come wherever they are called. Demons come wherever they're not resisted. So in other words, uh, our angels are always present to us, as the Bible says. It's very clear in Psalm 91, verse 11, uh, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. But again, 
we have to pray to, to activate them because the angel's job, they have several jobs according to St. Thomas of Aquinas. One of the angel, our guardian angel's job is specifically to defend us against evil spirits. That's job number one. Amen. Job number two is to carry our prayers to heaven. And that's in the Bible, in the book of Tobit, chapter 12, and Revelation, chapter 8, and Eucharistic prayer, chapter 1, in the canon of the Mass. So when you pray, the angels are waiting for you to pray because they want to take your prayers to heaven, whether it's contemplative prayer, meditative prayer, vocal prayer. But if you don't pray, guess what? Your angel just hanging around unemployed. Well said. And here's the prayer I pray every day. And Jesse does the same thing. Oh, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Forever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Mm. From sinful stain, oh, keep me free. And in death's hour, my helper be. Pray that prayer every single day. And uh, you'll you'll energize your guardian angel to get to work for you. That's right. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and the great Jesuit scholar, one of the greatest Jesuit, uh, uh, Father Francisco Suarez, they say that Satan's original sin was pride. Right. Original sin was pride. So uh, that's a a good sin to to confess every time you go to confession because all of us, uh, obviously, we we struggle with that. uh, And and we have to make sure that because that that gives, that's the one that gives rise to all the other deadly sins. And that's why... Us men especially, I say women too have pride, don't get me wrong, but I'll, I'll, I'll step it up and say us men have it more than women. And I'll tell you why, because the role we play. Sometimes right. we put uh, too much on ourselves to think that we're going to do it all, when in fact, we're just collaborating. And so a uh, nice thing about uh, going down on your knees and asking for forgiveness is that in itself is an act of humility when you go to confession. Yeah. Here's something also good to know that our angels have greater knowledge and more power than demons. Oh, yeah, That's man. Just a, I learned that from in my angel all the angel all That's an important thing right there, Jess. By Dr. Miravella. I'll wow. say it again. Yes, yeah, angels it. have greater knowledge and greater power than the fallen angels and demons. Makes sense to me. Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? Last time I checked my my GPS, <laughs> my 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 God uh, 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 programming system. Yes. He said to live in a state of sanctifying grace. He told me not to live in a state of mortal sin. And he told me to get holy or die trying and to pray my rosary every day and go to Mass as often as possible. That's what he told me. Remember, Bishop Sheen talked about working for God. Well, here's what Our Lady said at Fatima. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Yes, we can get in this fight for souls by offering all of our actions to God, our our, uh, powerful thing. Anything that happens in the day, offer it to Jesus in union with him to help redeem the world. Our Lady said, then we can help souls get to heaven. Uh, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. God bless you. Thanks for joining us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.